That's right. Good morning, everybody. This is a time of great challenge and change and opportunity for our church here, as well as for the church in all our town and in the whole of our nation. And we are in a series that is looking at the attributes that we need to develop and foster if we are to grow in our walk with God. And then, as a result of that, be more useful to his purposes for a time such as this. Just to recap, we started with dependence on God, looking at how Gideon was asked by God to face 120,000 enemies with only 32,000. And God said, don't take 32,000, take 300, because you have to depend on me for your victory. Rob talked about integrity and how Daniel was prepared to face death rather than stop worshipping God. And last week, Hetty talked about Esther. Now, Esther was interesting. Esther, strangely, out of nowhere, found herself in a position of being auditioned for the job of queen of the whole Persian Empire. And she was in a position where she could save her people as a result of that. And she needed courage. And her courage came when she was reminded by Mordecai, who knows? Who knows? But maybe you're in this very strange position for a time such as this. And I've learned two things from this series, and that's not counting that Esther is the only book of the Bible that never specifically mentions God, one I will remember well for any future pub quizzes, uh, you know. But uh, the two things I've learned are there is so much overlap. All of our characters, Gideon, Daniel, Esther, have shown dependence on God, integrity and courage. Most of all, they've shown faithfulness, which is what we're talking about today. But also that the most unlikely people can do amazing things for God and his purposes if they are just faithful in the situation and time they find themselves in. So faithfulness, the quality of loyalty, consistently and persistently displayed despite external circumstances. The quality of loyalty consistently and persistently displayed. Essentially, making a promise and then keeping it come what may. And I, I, this is unscripted, but i just seen Pete somewhere. Where, where, Pete, you waved your hand. Pete, you were faithful to a once not very good football team called... <laughs> Manchester City and now many more people are coming to them because they are going to win the Premiership almost certainly this year but Pete was faithful to them through the lean years as well that is true faithfulness everyone admires faithfulness I'm not a Man City fan but I admire his faithfulness to Man City we're all touched by faithful leaders like the Queen who for 70 years was faithful to her coronation promises and we pray that Charles our new King will be the same we're moved by those who care faithfully for years on end sometimes for aged parents for sick and disabled children for frail partners and similarly we are disappointed when people break promises small or big whether they're our friends or our family or our partners or political leaders or our other leaders it hurts when people are not faithful because faithfulness is good The Bible repeatedly says so. And the Hebrew word for faithfulness is about steadfastness, unwavering reliability, firmness. But above all, the quality of faithfulness is associated with God himself. God is repeatedly declared to be from the start of the Bible to the end, to be not just good, but to be faithful. Always faithful to love us, to hear us, to forgive us and to save us. 
And uh, just last night I found a verse in 2 Timothy 2.13, if you want to look at it at home. It says, God is faithful. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny his nature. God is faithfulness. 2 Timothy 2.13. And even more so as a result, even more so than in the world, the scriptures highly praise, don't they, faithfulness to God. Early New Testament writers call the church the faithful, the faithful in Ephesus, the faithful in Corinth. And it's the faithfulness of people that we've been hearing about, like Gideon and Dan and Esther and a thousand others in the Bible that enable God to carry his purposes through to fulfillment in Jesus, who himself is called in Revelation the faithful witness. And over the last 2,000 years, those purposes have been continued by the faithfulness of hundreds of millions, if not billions, most of whom we'll never meet or even hear about. But we are here today because of the faithfulness of many over the ages. We are here in this church because of the faithfulness of many over 202 years to the life and work of God's purposes in our town, in this church. And so we all need to work on our faithfulness um, if God's purposes are to continue in our church, in our town, in our nation, into the next generations. And maybe, as Mordecai said to Esther last week, that each and every one of us is here this morning in our life situation at this time for a season such as this. Now, the story of Ruth is a lovely one. And after the last three weeks, you can be assured there are no battles in it. There are no executions in it. There are no threats of executions. There is no righteous punishment. It's just a lovely story, even though it seems like a Disney movie to be starting off in calamity. And I want to continue being encouraging by giving you lovely people a score for your faithfulness through these last months. And you might think that I'm being a little bit generous with us all, but I am going to give us an A+. Yes, you can give yourselves a clap because you have been so faithful. Yes. Starting with our wardens who stepped up with no warning and have responsibility for leading this church through what will be at least a 12-month period for everything that goes on. <laughs> Starting with Rob and Frank who have other jobs and other careers and other pressures and have risen to be more than any vicar could be to us in this season. But you know what? Most of all, you guys deserve a clap because through this time you have remained faithful, faithfully attending, faithfully serving, faithfully maintaining all our ministries, faithfully reaching out to strangers in and out of church. You have been faithful. You are A+. And I pray and you pray uh, for each other that we'll be faithful these next six weeks when uh, we are very, very keen that the right man or woman of God will see our advert and think, you know what, I can lead Christchurch forward. But I want to um, slightly uh, downmark somebody else in this story today, and uh, I'm aware as I do it, um, you know, if I start, you know, like that guy on Strictly Come Dancing who says, you know, oh, that, it was good, but that turn, darling, you know, who, I, is that Bruno, whoever it is, or, or, or Simon Cowell when he says, oh, no, 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 I want to slightly downmark someone, and I don't want to uh, get any booze, and that someone is Naomi, and if Naomi was on a school report, it would say some good points, but could do better. In that way, she reminds me a lot of myself so Naomi is only going to get a b minus yes yeah I, I knew you'd say that yes right now 
I will agree with you. Naomi is a good woman. I, I think of at least four things. Firstly, she shows love and compassion to Orpah and Ruth. Even in her grief, she's trying to put them first. She is so concerned for them. She is willing to take the long and dangerous journey back around the Dead Sea, out of the desert and up to Jerusalem, then down to Bethlehem on her own, as an older woman on her own. That's how concerned she is, because she knows they have very little future as refugees in Israel, as foreigners in Israel. She has evangelized them. She is concerned and she has taught them about the God of Israel and his faithfulness and love. And we know that because in the last verse, Ruth swears loyalty, not by her own gods and not on herself, but on the name of Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, in that last verse, 17. And she knows that God is kindly, loving and faithful in her heart deep down because she also wishes those kindnesses on Ruth and Orpah. And lastly... And not leastly, her good points, she trusts God enough to go home. She and Elimelech are in the wrong place. God went to a lot of trouble to get the Jews into the promised land. And she has left it, seeking security elsewhere with her husband. And if you're in the wrong place, God wants you to come home. If that's where we ever are, and I've been in the wrong place with God many times in my life, if that's where you are today, you need to do something about it. God wants you to come home. So why have I downgraded it a B minus? Well, I accept that Naomi has had a hard life in this foreign country. She has had a series of unfortunate events at best. I don't want to make light of it because her husband, Elimelech, who brought her there, died. And then her sons, Marlon and Killian, died. Not helped by the name she gave them. If you're reading in the church Bible, you'll see that Marlon means sick boy and Killian means wasting away boy. And so, you know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And sometimes, like with Naomi, the blows of life make us doubt, not that God is faithful and loving, but that he's faithful and loving to us. And in verse 13, she tells her daughters-in-law, um, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. And, I, I, you know, this is how she feels. It's not true, but this is how she feels. In fact, later on in the story, when they get back to Bethlehem, and people say, look, it's a long time, but that's Naomi. Naomi, you've come back. What does she say? She says, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means lovely. Call me Mara. Call me Mrs. Bitter, because the Lord has dealt so bitterly with me. This is a lady who is struggling in her relationship with God, and that affects her behavior. Because it's one thing to try and persuade her daughters-in-law to stay to Moab, because it's the sensible option for their security and happiness. But look how she ups the ante with Ruth at the end. Look, she says, Orpah over there. Orpah's gone back to her people and her gods. You join it. You go back to your people and your gods. To her gods? The god of the Moabites is called Shemosh. One king says Shemosh is a detestable god, a vile god, and not only, of course, a false god, but a revolting one, a god who demands human sacrifices, even of the Moabites' own children. And Naomi says, go back to that. Naomi, where is your faith? Where is your faithfulness? And to her credit, Ruth won't. Now, many of us can remember situations we were in where we turned away from God and sought security or happiness or comfort or pleasure in other areas. Many people in this church have known times when they have lived by that for years on end. They do not want to go back to that. I do not want to go back to that. No one should want anyone else to be anywhere other than in companionship and fellowship with God. So B minus for Naomi there. B minus. I am being a bit hard, of course. Uh, right, so 
What about Ruth and Orpah, these two lovely young ladies standing at this crossroads with Naomi? Sonia? Yes, they're at a crossroads. And one way says this way back to Moab. Actually, they're, not, they're in Moab. This way home, two miles. And another way says this way, the long road. Actually, it's a lot more than eight kilometers down that side of Jordan, up the Dead Sea, uh, and back home again through the desert. They're at a crossroads. Now, um, these two young ladies, verse 8 says they were good wives and good daughters-in-law. They were loving. They clearly, deeply love Naomi. They cling to her. They weep. They, too have been horribly bereaved and left childless, penniless, and alone in a cruel world. They, too, face a choice. As Naomi points out, the sensible choice, go home to your families and hope for security in a future, or choose with me a dangerous journey through the desert, then an uh, an uncertain future as penniless foreigners in Israel. You'll be strangers. You'll be poor. What awaits you? Not marriage, success, prosperity, husbands are on the surface of it. You know, possibly any harm. In verse 10, though, both of them love Naomi so much, they say, we will go back with you to your people. Orpah is talked out of it. It's the rational choice, I don't blame her. But Ruth is made of sterner stuff. It doesn't matter that she faces death on the road, destitution, murder, whatever. Uh, She doesn't have Orpah for support even, but she's given her word. She's made a promise. She will be faithful to that promise. And in some of the most beautiful lines in scripture, she swears, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, there I'm going to be buried too. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. You see, Ruth isn't just promising faithfulness to Naomi. In swearing on the name of Yahweh, she is promising to be faithful to God's purposes, who she is beginning to know and trust in. And in faithfulness to that promise to God, she is showing far more courage and dependence on God and God's love than Naomi has been doing. My favourite verse in the Bible, this is how Ruth feels. A man finds a treasure hidden in a field. What's he do? He goes out and he buys the whole field out of the joy that fills his heart. That's Ruth. She doesn't want the life she's been leading. She wants the life with the God of Israel that he offers. And I think we've come out of church every week in the last three weeks and will do for the next four weeks, wanting to hear how these stories continue. But actually, this is quite easy because there are only four chapters in Ruth. So it's very easy to finish it at home. And basically, it's like a Disney movie. It starts off tragically and then gets worse, but it all ends well. How can it possibly get worse, you're thinking? How can this possibly get worse? Well, it gets worse when Ruth and Naomi arrive back in Bethlehem. And remember, oh no, we've no money and no food. But Ruth has heard that this God cares for everyone. He wants everyone to be provided for. And he had decreed a practice in Israel called gleaning. And gleaning means supporting others, not out of your poverty, but out of the blessings of God. Now, a modern equivalent would be if you had time or skills or money or a spare room, put it to helping others. But in Israel, in Deuteronomy, this is how God describes it. He says, you're a farmer and you're harvesting your crop. If you drop a grain of wheat, a sheaf of, a stalk of wheat, do not bend down and pick it up. 
And if you grow vines and you look up at a tree and you think, oh, it's just a bit, I'll have to get a ladder. He says, leave it. Do not go back to it. Those grapes are for, uh, are for God's purposes. And if you're loading up your wagon at the end of the harvest and you notice in the top field, oh, someone's left a sheaf of corn up there, you are forbidden to go back for it. Why? Because this is God's bounty. This is for the poor, the widows, and the strangers in your land. And Ruth, young lady, looks up and down at herself in the mirror and says, poor, widow, stranger in the land, that's me. And being not just a woman of faith, but a woman who uh, is of great diligence, she says to Naomi, please can I go and do this some, some gleaning, some of this gleaning. And um, it just so happens, it says it in the Bible, it says it happens, uh, some might say that was chance, we call it God's providence, that she ends up in the field of a man called Boaz. Boaz is a decent chap. He doesn't just protect Ruth. He doesn't just allow her to pick up a few stalks. He tells his young men, and we all know what young men might be like in a gang with a, a single girl coming up, especially a foreigner. He says, do not molest her, treat her with respect. And I want to see some extra stalks tossed down before she comes along. Uh, and, and, so, um, and so things begin to look up for them. And as every reader of Pride and Prejudice, Jane Austen fans here will know, it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. A wife. A wife. So you can be reassured that after two and a half more chapters, a few more ups and downs, it does have a happy ending. Boaz, the kind, selfless, godly, respected very rich bachelor, and Esther, the penniless refugee with a good heart, faithful to God's purposes and loving to her mother-in-law, get married and have a child. Child's called Obed, and it says even Naomi was happy and saw God's blessings. But that is not the end of the story. That is not where the Bible cuts the story off. Here is the truly amazing bit. The last verses of Ruth 4 tell us that Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse, of course, was the father of David, who became king over all of Israel. And many, many generations later, 72 according to Matthew, Jesus was born as a descendant of David. So Ruth's faithfulness didn't just help Naomi at that time. It didn't just lead to blessings for herself. It enabled God's purposes to be fulfilled. And it all started on an ordinary afternoon when she turned left rather than right at the crossroads, when in faithfulness at a time such as that. Now, this is getting quite popular now. I don't know if anyone has cheap Ryanair or um, EasyJet breaks to Eastern European capitals, but young couples in love uh, pledge their commitment, pledge their faithfulness, pledge their love by locking a padlock to the bridge and throwing the key away. Uh, you know, I think that's a lovely idea. I, I, I think that maybe, I imagine in 50 years, this old couple will toddle back with their children and grandchildren and look at that lock and their faithfulness over all that time. Um, although in reality, of course, Budapest City Council saws them off once so we can put some notices saying, don't do it, you know. But they're making a promise. They're saying we want to be faithful. I, I love weddings. I love seeing people make that promise. It offers so much opportunity. The Bible tells us a couple of things about making promises. Ecclesiastes says, fine, whoa, whoa, slow down, don't be rash. It's better to make a prom not to make a promise at all than to make it and not fully carry it out. 
And it also says if you make a promise in Ecclesiastes, make sure you carry it out. Like Orpah, sadly, who made a promise and went back on it, and I don't blame her for that, as I say, but Ruth made a promise and stuck to it, come what may. If you make a promise to anyone, big or small, keep it, if at all possible, like Ruth did. That promise could be a small one, just a commitment to take a friend shopping, or to put others first by not parking here on a Sunday morning. Or it could be a big one, like your marriage vow, but the biggest of all, the decision we all made at some point in our lives to follow Jesus and put God first and his people ahead of our own, our own desires. Stick to it, whatever happens, that's faithfulness. Because you see, most of us can remember the time, as I say, when we made that choice to put God and his purposes first. We too, like Ruth, saw something we wanted more than the other ways we could go, even though they looked easier or safer or more rewarding immediately or more pleasurable. We saw something we wanted. And when we find ourselves in the wrong place, we may have made that choice again, maybe many times in our lives. That's, that's okay. Maybe, as I say, people here need to make that choice today to rededicate themselves. Uh, that's okay. But when we made that choice, whether it was a month ago or 50 years ago, we didn't know what it would lead to. We didn't know the hardships the road would take us through or the blessings it would bring. All we knew is we wanted to take that road and stay on it. The story of Ruth assures us that it's a road that leads us to where we are meant to be. A road that leads us to usefulness and being part of God's plans for us. A road that will always, always lead us home. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your constant faithfulness throughout all of history. We thank you for our faithfulness from the day, your faithfulness from the day we were born until the day we die. You will be with us, loving us, caring for us. Lord, we, we regret the times that we have not been as faithful to you. And we thank you that you remain, whatever we do, faithful to us. Lord, we pray at this time for our church, for our nation, Lord, that you help us be remained faithful to you in all that we are and all that we do so that your purposes will continue, so that your word will reach new people, so that your plans will unfold for a whole generation yet to come. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, your son. Amen.